Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And so I want you to be remembering us in early September when I'm sitting or standing or whatever at this restaurant with the whole family. And I want to submit this to you that this is a biblical way for you to pray for those people that you want to have an impact upon your world with your family. So let's do it a little bit differently. Instead of just doing it expositionally here, which I will stay in scriptures always, but not so much here. I'm going to try to give it to you in a sequential order of what you might pray first. And pray this, and then this, and then this, and then this. Now, that order is my order. It's not God's order. It's my order, my suggested human wisdom order I'm submitting to you. On the other hand, it is biblical on each one of these points. Just the order is what I'm submitting to you. So know that God can go around my order anytime he wants, but he will never go beyond God's word. So let's look at it. So what do I do first? We want to pray for others and ourselves in the process of communicating the gospel. We want to pray for others and we want to pray for ourselves. That's where we get the pray for us as well portion of scripture. But I wanted you to leave here for a moment, if you want to in your own Bible, and go to 1 Timothy, if you will. 1 Timothy. I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Again, I want to show you prayer as it involves with impacting unsaved people. Okay, you want to make an impact on their lives. If you will look in verse 2 of 1 Timothy, and you can have your pen ready. Paul is now writing not to a church, he's writing to a pastor, and he's telling a pastor what he needs to do as a pastor and how he needs to lead his church. So he says to him in this writing, First of all, then, I urge that entries, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving, notice how thanksgiving is wedded in with prayer, be made on behalf of all men. Now, I don't want you to think it's the masculine context. I want you to think all people. So he says, I want you to pray all kinds of prayers, first of all, for all people. And then he says, if you go a little bit further, drop down, if you will, in verse 3. This is good. What he says in verse 2, what he says in verse 1, and now what he's going to say in verse 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. Now, it doesn't say that he will make all people be saved. That is his desire that all people be saved. Not all of them will be saved. It is his desire for them to be saved. And then it says more than just being saved, but to come to the knowledge of the truth. So he just doesn't want them to have spiritual fire insurance from hell. He wants them to have an intimate relationship with Christ by having full, accurate, experiential knowledge of truth. God's word, the truth. So he wants all of that for the person. So what you're going to begin doing now is you're going to now be praying. And you can divide up those types of prayers. But you're praying for those people that they would come to faith alone in Christ and then to go on to become a fully obedient worshiper of God based on truth. If you all understand that, say, "Uh uh-huh. Got that. Now, what I did, if you look on your sheet there, is I've divided up your categories of people into four categories. This way, it might help you to identify some of the people you could begin praying for. The first one would be friends. And so for a moment, if you will, either write the initial down or somebody who's your buddy. Somebody who's just a friend. Fits no other category other than you might have grown up with them. It's a friend. The second one would be a relative. For me, I've got this family reunion, so for right now, my my laser focus is on them. It's not restricted. I'll pray for others that are unsaved, but for right now, my relatives and the ones that will be at this reunion because I know that 
a majority of them don't know Christ as Savior. So I would be putting their names down. I am praying for all men. I am praying for them by name. All right? The third would be associates, and that would be the ones you work with or the ones that you go to school with. They could even be the ones upon which team or committee you're with. If you're on a board or something, you're associates. You need to put their name. I'm going to pray for them, not just a, a general Lord save them. And by the way, what's for dinner, honey? No, it's a real deep, vigilant, alert, devoted prayer for these people. And then the last would be a neighbor, all the different neighbors that you have. So far, we've had the privilege of inviting our neighbors to various functions here that we've had for them to be able to hear the gospel. Not all of them know Christ as Savior, but one thing I can tell you is that they know they're loved by the Pons family. And we pray that through that, some measure, we can communicate the message of salvation before they die or before something might happen to us. So you want to pray for your neighbors. I don't know where you are in your level of understanding of the sovereignty of God, but God is so big that it's, it's where he brought you into that neighborhood as his spark plug, as his lighthouse. He puts you in that neighborhood knowing that that neighborhood of life is filled with a lot of rocks and problems and tumultuous seas. And he puts you there as a lighthouse. And so all the people he brings in, all the ships that he brings into you, is somehow for you to communicate the gospel to them. And it begins with praying. So you're praying for them. You pray for them. You pray for them. You pray for them. I remember hearing a testimony of one preacher who told a story about how many times he had prayed for someone. And then he died. Not, not the man died. The preacher died. I heard subsequent chapters about that pastor who prayed for the unsaved person and how that unsaved person came to know Christ as Savior after the preacher even died, after he prayed for him. I only kept thinking, I wonder what heaven's going to be like when the preacher's up there and he sees everybody, he kind of knows, and all of a sudden this guy who wasn't saved before gets saved after he dies, and there he is. What kind of a reunion that might be. So I'd encourage you to pray for them by name. And I'm going to tell you, it works. You pray by name. The second would be, after you prayed for them by name, don't stop there. Now you want to pray that a door of opportunity would be given to you so that you can actually open your mouth and begin to speak the mystery of Christ. So you're going to ask for an open door. If you go back to the passage in Colossians chapter 4, it says that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak for the mystery of Christ. So you want God to open the door. You want God to open the door. You want God to open the door so you can speak. You want God to open the door so you can speak the gospel, the mystery. I'm going to center down on that. So what you're doing is saying, Lord, you've got to do the door thing. I've got to see the door thing. I've got to speak. And what I've got to speak is not about how about them rainbows, you know. I'm going to speak about the gospel. Now, so you're asking God to do that. And let me tell you, most people don't mind praying for someone to get saved, but they would rather have someone else be the answer to that person's salvation. Did you catch what I'm saying? They won't give them the gospel, but they want someone else to do that when God says, you need to do this. Now, if you notice the passage, it says Paul was writing to the Colossians, he says, pray for us as well, which means I need your prayers for us while we're engaging this. So you need to have a prayer partner to praise with you that you're praying with about someone that the door would be open. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you how you can nudge a door open. Only God can open it, but here's how you can nudge a door open. You've got to enter into some kind of a conversation. You're not going to get the gospel to them unless you're talking to them. So what do you talk about? First of all, you're going to talk about a secular conversation, something that is not going to be controversial. So don't get off on controversial subjects. Just find something in common that you can agree with on a secular level so that there's a comfortable feeling of shucking and jiving we can talk, okay? 
Then you move from a secular conversation to some type of a spiritual conversation. And for me, I don't jump right into, are you a Christian? If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? I don't jump right into that. I jump into, what's your spiritual journey? What's your faith journey been like? And I let them talk all about their faith journey. Because by the time they're finished, I don't point fingers at their faith journey. I now have the privilege and the opportunity to talk about my faith journey. Because they often say, what about yours, Stan? And I'll tell them my faith journey. But now I go from a secular to a spiritual. And now because they feel comfortable talking, they feel comfortable talking about some kind of spiritual thing. Now I can talk about salvation with them because we moved them through those levels. And perhaps that little thought, that little train of conversational progress will help you in the communication of the gospel. God can open up that door. I don't know how he'll do it, but God will open that door. And that's what you're praying for and that's what you're having others with you partner with and pray for that. So to impact someone else's world, we're asking God for that person and that the door would be open. But it doesn't stop there. It goes down to the third level. And so he opens up the door. Now Now we have to speak. And I would call that we need boldness to do that. And that's where all of us need that boldness. So if you will, hold your place here in in Colossians and and go back, if you will, to Ephesians, if you will. Ephesians chapter 6. It's the end of Ephesians. Paul is writing to them. And here's what he writes to them at the end after he goes through all the spiritual armor, etc. He finishes with all the armor. And then he ends with verse 18 of chapter 6. He says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view. So now he, to the Roman Christians, to the Colossian Christians, to the Ephesian Christians, he's reminding them again, You pray at all times in the Spirit, but with this view in mind. Be on the alert, there it is again, with all perseverance, And petition, that's prayer, for all the saints. Do you see how he's saying basically the same thing to every church and by extension to us? He's saying it again and again and again and again and again. And now verse 19, and he says, You pray for all saints and pray on my behalf. So you pray for each other, you pray for me. Then he says that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it the gospel, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now this verse is just jammed full of stuff. It's just a rich passage of scripture. So he says, pray for me. I need boldness. I need so much boldness that the boldness will show itself up in me speaking, not about all other subjects, but specifically the gospel. I'm coming up against Satan in that person's mind, and so I need boldness. What that also is telling me, those of you that have been Christian a long time and you know the Bible, you know that Apostle Paul, other than the Lord, was probably the boldest, most uh, courageous soul winner that there ever lived, and yet he himself was extremely timid, so timid that he had to have others pray for him because he knew he didn't have the boldness apart from prayer and all the kinds of praying that he prayed. So he's basically saying, I'm not bold. I'm a scaredy cat. I'm a chicken, and I need you to pray for me. And maybe it was through his knowledge of knowing that it's intimacy with God and a communion with him and devotion to prayer and others praying that that then resulted in that boldness that he had. But back in the passage again, three times it refers to speaking the gospel, not just living a separated life, but speaking it. He says here in verse um, uh, 19, he says that I would open my mouth. And then verse 20, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak So you might want to circle mouth, speak, speak. 
again, it's communicating the message of salvation. And the best way to do that is just using your own testimony. If you know how you're going to heaven and what was the facts maybe behind it, where you were, what happened, what you were like before, what you are now, what you did, that's your testimony. That's what you speak. So we need to ask God for boldness. I tell the story occasionally when I get to this passage, and some of you haven't heard it, so give me a moment to share this story. Early in my faith, I was a student in Bible college, uh, second year sophomore in Bible college, and uh, I was at a time in my life where I was working and trying to put myself through school. I didn't get a school loan and didn't have scholarships and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when I was out there working, I, I would go to school in the morning, and in the afternoon, my job was mostly... Uh, working at a law firm. Now, I did nothing more than to take the important papers at a law firm and I would file, at them, file them at the circuit court and the civil court and all of that kind of stuff. And by the end of the afternoon, like 3.30 or 4, I'd have all the papers filed, everything taken to the post office. I now could have lunch. I haven't eaten since early in the morning. And in downtown Miami, I worked for this firm called Schutz & Bowen, which was the oldest law firm in Miami at the time. And um, they had in downtown Miami in the um, 60s this tiny little like diners that would be in these little little hole in the walls. You might see them in downtown Honolulu too. And the counter would go from one wall to the other wall and the cook would also be the cook, would be the waitress, would be the gal to take your money behind the counter. In fact, this place was one of those greasy spoons. So I heard that contact is opportunity. So contact, when I contact someone, possibly is the opportunity to give them the gospel. But I'm scared. I don't know everything about evangelism. I, you know, I, I don't know all the answers. You know, If they ask me questions, I don't know the answer to. So I'm a little nervous. But I want to give them the gospel. There was this, this desire to be able to penetrate the community of, of Miami with the message, even from my little position. So I said, Lord, give me the strength. Give me the wisdom. Somehow, Father, make it so I could give the gospel. I am scared. So I go into this place. There was nobody in it but the guy behind the counter. If you've ever seen that old television show, <clears throat> Alice... You remember the old show, Alice, and this big guy, T-shirt all the time, had a sailor cap on, I think. You know, one of these. That's how this guy looked, except he was twice as big. So I go into this place, and I'm saying, somehow I've got to get the message of the gospel to him. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think, all right, here's my plan. I'm going to order my meal. I'm going to eat my meal. I'm going to pay it. And when I leave my tip, I'm going to put my tip in a little gospel tract that I had that says, am I going to heaven? It's a quiz. Check below what you think is necessary to do to get to heaven. And you figure it all out. Nothing on here will get you to heaven, but people think it does. And the rest are Bible verses that tell you that nothing you do will get you to heaven except faith in Christ. So I said, I'm going to give them this track. Am I going to heaven? My plan worked beautifully until I put the tip on top of the track. I slid it over to him and I said, Sir, I consider it a real privilege if you'd read this when you have some time. It'll tell you how you can know for sure you can go to heaven just by trusting Christ. And so as soon as I did that, this big burly hand slapped that track with the change that I gave him for a tip. And he looked at me and he said, go to hell. And he slid the track back to me. Now in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, what chapter in my personal evangelism textbook has that answer? Where, what, how do you respond when someone angrily slaps your literature and shoves it back in your face and tells you where to go? What do you do? So I looked at him and I'm trembling. And I look at the track, and I look at him, and I look at the track, and I looked at him, and I looked at the track, and all I could say was, go to heaven. And I slid it right back to him. And I want you to know, just as you're laughing here, that's exactly what he did. Immediately, the tension was totally disarmed. Now, it wasn't because I had some cutesy little answer. What I had was a supernatural holy boldness that came when you were 
desperate enough to say, God, I can't do this, but I want to do this. Will you help me do this? And then just proceed ahead. It all comes. Now, I wish the guy got saved, sanctified, baptized, homogenized, or whatever else. That didn't happen. But I do know this. He did get the gospel. And now that's up between him and the Lord. So you want to pray for boldness. But the last point is simply this. I need to pray for clarity. Because there are people that can go all the way through the aspect of praying for people. The door is open and now they're bold and they present the message and they've got two problems with it. Number one, it's either incorrect where they leave the impression that it's by some about spiritual works that will get you to heaven. They mean well, but they do not give the accuracy of the doctrine of soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. They, they mess it all up so it becomes incorrect. In fact, the phrases that they're using actually appear to be good works that you have to do, spiritual sounding or the rest. And then the second would be maybe it's doctrinally correct, but they've said it in such a way that the person cannot understand it. It was not made clear. My feeling is I don't have to make the gospel clear. It already is clear. I just need to present it biblically as it really is. I need to explain to him that we're all sinners. And we're separated from God by nature and by our deeds. And when we die, we'll spend eternity separated from Him in a real place called hell. That I have to be absolutely 100% perfect to go to heaven. I have to be as good and as righteous as God to get to heaven. And I can't get there because I'll never be as good as God. And God says from Old Testament and New Testament all over the place, it says it is not by works of righteousness in any way that will get you into God's Heaven, never. That is all man-made, religion or otherwise. It is perpetrated by late-night comedians and all the rest. It is not by any good works. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to this earth. He took all my sin on himself. He died and he rose again. And now he says to me, all I need to do is to place my faith in him. And when I do, he gives me his perfection to go to heaven with. He doesn't make me better so I can go to heaven when I trust Him. I'm still a sinner, but I have my sins paid for and I have His perfection to get there. And I can know it before I die once I do what He tells me to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's correct and it's clear. So stay away from terms that you have to define and often you begin to define them and they're wrong or you give terms that you know what they mean, but the person out there, they've defined it by what someone else will define it by and it's wrong. So we have to watch out for some of those terms. And if some of you are a little concerned about the terminology you might use, anything from taking Jesus into your heart to making him Lord to turning from sin and some of those, I'd be glad to go through the terms and share with you what's biblical, what's not, what's good, what isn't. And better yet, I'll show you the best terms to use that are the most biblical that will honor God. So going all the way through what we've learned here today about if we want to impact our world, we impact it by being devoted to prayer persistent in it, being alert to all the needs of the people, alert to God, alert to the need for prayer, all that alertness that's going on. It's not just some little deed we do as a Christian, as our little obligation so we can get on with our life. The fact that we're grateful because we're so dependent upon Him as the one who's large and in charge, and we're doing it because He is our Lord. And then we want to pray for ourselves, for sure, but we want others to pray for us, and we want to pray for others, especially if we're going to impact them. We want to pray for them, hopefully by name. And we want to pray for an open door that God will open. We want to partner with God. And then when we pray for Him, we want to say, Lord, you open the door, give me this boldness. And then when we do, we want to speak it correctly and clearly because it says, as I ought to speak. Look at how many times the word speak is found in Colossians chapter 4. 
1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says, But as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God would try their hearts. And so I know it's a scary thing, folks. I'm a pastor, been doing this for X amount of years. I need God to help me give the gospel, and he will with you. Let's start today, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you just take a moment and, first of all, reflect on your, your own relationship with the Lord? Are you absolutely certain that if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven? If God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? And your answer is the answer that will guarantee whether or not you go to heaven. How would you answer that? There is only one answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. But what about Jesus? What, what about him is the way? He did the work for us on the cross. We do the believe. We believe him. We take him at his word when he says, believe on me. Trust in the Lord. And the Lord you trust in is the biblical Lord, Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again. But you're trusting in Christ, in Christ alone. Now, if you haven't done that, my friend, no matter all the good things that you've done, and I commend you on any good deed that you've done, social or religious, but if you're counting upon that to get you to heaven, then what you're saying is either you didn't need Christ or you needed to help Christ, but you never came to where he wanted you to come, which is it's all about Christ. And that's where you need to go right now. Would you simply say, thank you, Lord, for dying and rising again. I thank you, Lord, for giving me eternal life. Thank you, Lord. I'm taking you at your word and I'm trusting in you. You already know that in my heart. I'm counting upon you. My commitment is you. My commitment is I'm trusting you to be committed to your word that you said that you'd take me to heaven. You'd forgive me of my sin. Now, after that comes the new life. After that comes the surrender to his lordship for a lifestyle. I, we get all of that. And that's where discipleship comes in. And that's the next part. And we're going to talk about that next week. But right now, just come to that level. How many of you are ready today to accept Christ as your Savior by placing your faith in Christ? And you'd like for me to pray for you. With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. Is the day, is today the day? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. If you're trusting Christ already today, and when you do that, I'm going to simply say, thank you, I saw that hand, and I'll pray for you. Raising your hand, walking an aisle, filling out a card, or me praying for you will never get you into heaven. Those are all post-salvation things. Getting into heaven is you trusting in Christ. Now that you've done that, if you'd like to let me know that, that'd mean an awful lot to me. I cannot tell you how much that would mean to me if I knew that today was the day you trusted Christ. I'd like to partner with you in prayer as we welcome you into God's family. So is today the day that you're trusting Christ? If it is, then I'd like to pray for you. So to do that without anyone looking around, this is a private thing. Later on, it's a public thing. But right now, for salvation, it's in your heart. It's already been done. Now your first step might be to let me know, and I'll pray for you. Is there anyone here today that said, I trusted Christ today. Never done it before. did it now. And you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Put your hand up right now. Never done it. Okay. For the rest of you, I have questions for personal reflection. How do I measure up against God's instruction to be devoted to pray? How much do I really pray? What changes do I need to make in my prayer life? What changes am I going to make? And then when will I start making these changes in how I pray? What do I think my role is in praying for others to come to faith in Christ? 
Who will I begin praying for? When will I begin? And how long will I pray for them? Our gracious Heavenly Father, may we first of all be personally devoted to prayer, persistent in it, alert, always grateful that you're a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. And Father, help us to pray for ourselves and others, especially in the area of salvation, although there are many other ways to pray for those who are saved. But for right now, for those that need to be saved, that Father, we would pray for that person and we would realize that person is lost. They're lost. The worst part about it is being separated from you for all eternity in a Christless hell. But it's also here and now. They're lost without you. And oh, Father, so much they could have in you when they trusted you. Father, open up doors for us to speak to our friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. And when those doors open, Lord, let us recognize the door is beginning to open and we would now speak boldly but compassionately, courageously but compassionately, correctly and clearly, consistently and cheerfully. So, Lord, help us now. We ask this so you'd be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.